Back in the summer of 1945, Japanese officials knew that they'd lost the Second World War. But there was a Japanese custom to remain silent for a period during times of stress. And at the Potsdam Conference, the Japanese generals met with the Allied forces to discuss ending the war. And when they were pressed to surrender, the Japanese generals responded with no comment. And the Allied officials read that as a stubborn refusal or defiance. And U.S. President Harry S. Truman proceeded to drop the atom bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives were lost as a result of that lack of communication that day in that room. But the ability to communicate clearly is crucial for effective leadership. And it's more than just being a good speaker. A good leader needs to know how to accurately communicate his ideas and his or her visions so that they can be instilled in others. And when God called Moses to lead the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt, like Moses' first response was, well, why are you asking me? I cannot speak. I'm not an eloquent speaker. And notice that God didn't say that the speaking part wasn't important at all. But he said, Moses, I gave you your mouth, and I will guide you with the words to say when the time is right. And then he also added, I'm going to also have your brother Aaron there along with you, and he will speak for you. The first time that I coached soccer was when my daughter Shannon, who's on the keyboard today, was 11 years of age. She was my team. She scored all my goals, and nobody else could do anything. I was giving these little girls the kick the, I said, kick the ball, Natalie. That was it. Like, no power into the ball. I stood them along a fence, a wire fence, and just had them kick and kick and kick, trying to get some power in those legs, but no way. So I wanted to yell instruction to these girls. But there was a mother who had the most amazing voice, so I just bring her over and I say, Marilyn, tell this girl to get her closer to the sideline. And she'd scream it out. It was great to have a representative. And God was promising Moses, promising Moses that he would have a representative as well. So it doesn't matter whether you're leading a group of two million people, or whether it's a small group, or whether it's a team that you're trying to coach. We have to require communication skills. And today, what we're doing is looking at the last message in this series on Jesus as our dynamic leader. And the Bible tells us that Jesus brought tremendous crowds to him. They were delighted to listen to his teaching. They were amazed by his teaching. They spoke well of him. And one Roman soldier even said, like, no man ever spoke like this guy does. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 6 and see how Jesus motivated masses of people. And those of us who are interested in reaching out to others and actually getting people to rise and grow in their Christian faith or even grow toward Christ, we'll see some keys to communicating these important truths to others. And Jesus was a great communicator because he chose the right setting. Look with me at Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Jesus and his apostles went down the mountain and came to some flat level ground. And Jesus was always picking out the best places 
for speaking opportunities. Because in Galilee, you didn't have any loudspeakers at that time. You didn't have any big auditoriums that you could go to where thousands of people could gather at once. So Jesus chose a place where he could be seen and heard. And it was on level ground at the bottom of that mountain. And the right setting is so important in this aspect of communication. But professional speakers say that 40% of the success of what they have to say depends upon the room, the environment. They can walk into a room and they can tell by the setting if it's going to be easy or difficult for them to speak and be successful. It could be the sound, it could be the lights, it could be the ventilation in the room. It might even have been the program that preceded them and the condition that they left that room in. But look in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we met to break bread together. And Paul spoke to the people until midnight, because he was leaving the next morning. In the upstairs room where we were meeting, there were a lot of lamps. And a young man by the name of Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill. While Paul was speaking, the young man got very sleepy. Finally, he went to sleep and fell three doors, excuse me, three floors, all the way down to the ground. And when they picked him up, he was dead. So the smoke from the lamps or the poor ventilation, maybe it was humidity in the room, led him to fall asleep. But don't worry, everybody that falls asleep in church, you're not going to die. And even he was brought back to life once again by the apostle also. So how can we best utilize the setting that we've been given so that we can fully utilize our teaching? First of all, don't leave during the message unless you absolutely have to. Do your best to have your children in one of our well-run programs. Or be in a spirit of prayer that lives will be changed. And then you know, don't talk out loud to the person sitting beside you. And if you must sleep, please don't snore. And make sure you have someone that can elbow you and, and wake you up again so you don't disturb too many people. Like life-giving decisions are made. Like people's lives are going to change through decisions that they make. It might be a decision to accept Christ. It might be a decision to stay in a marriage. It might be a decision to break an addiction. The Holy Spirit is at work, and we need to do our best to actually enhance the setting. And Jesus was a great communicator because he actually related to people's needs. And people were coming to him for two reasons, to hear him speak and to be blessed. So we pick up that 17th verse. Many other disciples were there to meet him. Large crowds of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the coastal cities of Tyre and Sidon were there too. These people had come to listen to Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. But we'll notice something, that Jesus didn't always give people what they wanted. But this was the same group that just the day before, like, numbering over 5,000, and Jesus had fed all of them with five loaves of bread and two fish. And now they're back for more of the same thing. They're back for another handout. But he starts to talk to them about spiritual food, not physical food. So there's a difference between what people think they want and what they really need. 
And Jesus was effective because he knew what people were thinking. He knew what they were doing. He knew what they needed. In 18, all who were troubled by evil spirits were also healed. Everyone was trying to touch Jesus because power was going out from him and healing them all. So good communication requires an accurate understanding of your audience. So if the speaker isn't able to relate to the needs and the feelings of the audience, then he or she isn't going to be successful at all. And that knowledge, it will come by observation, it might come by intuition, it will come by experience, maybe sometimes it just comes by listening. Robert Schuller said that one time he was asked to speak at a farmer's convention, and he was late arriving, it was just a few minutes before he was to speak, and the leader came up to him and said, that these farmers are falling on really hard times right now. Their crops have failed, they're losing their farms, they're depressed. So they don't want to hear any funny stories because they're not in a mood for laughing right now. And then don't give them any of this possibility thinking either. And Schuler thinks to himself, I was going to start off with two funny stories and all I was going to talk about was possibility thinking. So then someone comes along and says, it's time for you to speak. So he's walking out onto the platform to this applause, not having a clue what he's going to say. So he just stood silent for a moment, and then he said, I understand that you guys are having some hard times right now. Is that right? And then he said, let me tell you about my father. My father was a farmer, and just when his farm was really successful, a hurricane came through that area and just destroyed everything. All his buildings were flattened, but he refused to quit and he rebuilt. And then Schuler said, I want to tell you that tough times never last, but tough people do. And the room was just full of applause. All those farmers stood and applauded what he had to say. And that actually became the title of one of his best-selling books. He actually brought hope to these people who were battling depression because he was wise enough to be sensitive to the needs of that audience. So if you're a coach and you're giving a pre-game talk to motivate your players, that you have to know their needs. Like, are they nervous? Or maybe they're overconfident and you have to bring them down a little bit. Or if you're a sales manager talking to employees, it's important to know if they need more information or maybe they've been overwhelmed already and you need to just cut back a little bit. Or maybe you're a teacher and you need to feel the mood of the class. Like maybe they are getting lazy and you need to push them some more. But maybe you've just been going too hard and they just need a little change of pace for that day. If we're going to communicate truths about God, we need to understand our audience. And that's what made Jesus such an effective communicator, because he knew his audience. And he knew this audience was struggling financially. So in verse 20, we read, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, God will bless you people who are poor. His kingdom belongs to you. So he's saying, spiritual blessings are available to you. And you know what? You're more likely to receive them because you're poor in the first place. And then God will bless you hungry people. You will have plenty to eat. 
So Jesus is promising a better day. He's saying that there is hope for you if you hunger for the things of the Spirit. God will bless you people who are crying. You will laugh. That there's so much sadness in Palestine. They're under Roman possession and they have very little freedom. The mortality rate is high. Demon possession is rampant. Leprosy and other diseases, they're just all out of control. And Jesus was very sensitive to that. And he said, God bless you people who are crying now because there will be happier times later. And in verse 22, God will bless you when others hate you and won't have anything to do with you. God will bless you when people insult you and say cruel things about you, all because you are a follower of the Son of Man. Long ago, your own people did these same things to the prophets. So when this happens to you, be happy and jump for joy. You will have a great reward in heaven. So Jesus knew right where his audience was and what they were to expect. And then he turns to the other side of the coin. But you rich people are in for trouble. You already have had an easy life. So if all your life is wrapped up in material things and you're comfortable with that, then one day you're going to actually be lost. You well-fed people are in for trouble. You will go hungry. So if you're satisfied with the food of this life and you're hungry not for the things of the Spirit, then you're really going to be hungry someday, he says. You people who are laughing now are in for trouble. You are going to cry and weep. A tragedy is going to come into everybody's life at some time. So be sensitive to those who weep. You are in for trouble when everyone says good things about you. That is what your own people said about those prophets who told lies. So if nobody criticizes you, then you're actually compromising your convictions and you're tolerating everything and someday you'll answer to God. I organized a youth conference back in May of 1988 and during that weekend we had a panel discussion group and it was on the topic of peer pressure. And I had a 17-year-old from a youth group in Charlottetown and I had some parents, I even had some grandparents up there and they talked about peer pressure from their perspective. But that 17-year-old actually said, if you're at school talking to his peers and you aren't criticized in some way because of your faith or don't experience some type of persecution, then people don't know you're a Christian. And it was so true. Like, we will be criticized in some way if we're speaking up about Jesus. Jesus was an effective communicator because he also challenged his listeners to basically step up to a higher level. So picking up in verse 27. This is what I say to all who will listen to me. Love your enemies and be good to everyone who hates you. Well, but they've never heard anything so preposterous. Love your enemies, but the despised Roman soldiers that are oppressing them, and love the Gentiles who hate them. Ask God to bless anyone who curses you, and pray for anyone who is cruel to you. So instead of cursing them or criticizing them, pray for them. Jesus, this just doesn't make sense. 
If someone slaps you on one cheek, don't stop that person from slapping you on the other cheek. If someone wants to take your coat, your coat, not your coat, that may be coat too. Don't try to keep back your shirt. Give to everyone who asks, and don't ask people to return what they have taken from you. And that's not just disturbing in the first century mindset, that's disturbing for us today too. Like, don't stop them, don't prosecute them, don't sue them. Come on, Jesus. And then he responds by saying, yeah, that's right. You do to others what you would have them do to you. And we first of all think, okay, that's easy if it's people that are going to do good to us. But what about doing it to the ones that hate us? It's a different thing altogether to apply that to those who are in opposition to us. The one thing that makes a good communicator is the fact that the person doesn't just talk about it, but does it his or herself. And Jesus did exactly that. Look at him when he was on the cross. That he was there, he was taking all the taunts from the people. He was taking all the physical punishment. He turned his, the other cheek. He was praying for his enemies. He was giving when we would expect him to retaliate. He accepted all of that. See, people are more motivated by challenge than they are by comfort. Graham Lott told about a military recruitment day at a high school assembly. And he said that all four branches of the military in the U.S. were present. And the, each person was to speak for ten minutes. Well, the Air Force guy went first, and he went overboard, spoke for 18 minutes. Then the Navy and Army guys, they went over time as well. So the poor guy from the Marines is sitting there, and the principal looks over at him and says, uh, you've got three minutes, because in three minutes that bell's going to ring, and these kids are out of here, just like a storm. So he got up onto the stage in front of the kids, didn't say anything, he just looked up and down the rows at all the kids, and then he said what you may have heard before, the Marines are looking for a few good men, and the Marines are looking for a few good women. And I don't really see anybody in this crowd today, but if you think you might match up to that, come and see me afterward. And then Lot went on to say that the lineup for, at the Marine desk afterward was longer than the other three and together, because he challenged them. I had a coach that tried that once, Doug McLean. You can see him on channel 115, sports desk. He's one of the commentators now. And we were starting the final series against the Sherwood Parkdale Metros, much better team than we were. They won the Canadian Championship. And he comes into the room for the pep speech. And he goes, I was just talking to the other coach. And he said, there are only two players on my team that could even make his team, let alone beat it. And what a pump up. But then one guy ruined it. He said, me and who else? <laughs> so Doug lost the, the value in all of that. Mr. Churchill said, I have nothing to offer you but blood, sweat, and tears. And that was one of the things that made him such a great communicator. So a leader needs to understand that, because we aren't going to draw people by ease and security. But we need to understand that deep down inside, people want to be stretched. They want to grow. They want to be challenged. And Jesus was challenging these people to be better than those around them.
He wanted them to be countercultural. Countercultural. He wanted them to step it up a notch. When Luke 6 again, verse 32. If you love only someone who loves you, will God praise you for that? Even sinners love people who love them. If you are kind only to someone who is kind to you, will God be pleased with you for that? Even sinners are kind to people who are kind to them. If you lend money only to someone you think will pay you back, God will, be, will God be pleased with you for that? Even sinners lend to sinners because they think they will get it all back. But love your enemies and be good to them. Lend without expecting to be paid back. Then you will get the great reward. And you will be the true children of God in heaven. He is good even to people who are unthankful and cruel. The reason that Jesus challenged people to step up was because he wanted them to be more like God. And the amazing thing is that God doesn't just love those who are holy. He loves those who are in rebellion against him too. And if we're going to be like God, then we need to be kind to those out there who may want to hurt us, who may want to put us down. But then in 36, have pity on others, just as your Father has pity on you. Jesus said, don't judge others, and God won't judge you. Don't be hard on others, and God won't be hard on you. Forgive others, and God will forgive you. If you give to others, you will be given a full amount in return. It will be packed down, shaken together, and spilling over into your lap. The way you treat others is the way you will be treated. Noble Staten spoke at Maritime Christian College back in the mid-80s. He's an author, a pastor, professor, but he was in the Air Force shortly after World War II. And he said an older master sergeant came to work maybe twice a week and usually was drunk when he did arrive. So the other officers decided to get together and file a complaint. And they said, this guy needs severe discipline. But the colonel sat them down and he said, I think you need to know this man's story. That he was captured by the Germans in World War II and he was tortured unmercifully but wouldn't divulge the crucial information that he knew. They even captured his brother, brought him into the room where he was, held a gun to his brother's head and said, if you don't give us that information, we'll kill your brother. And he still didn't share the information and they shot his brother right in front of him. And when the war ended, the man weighed 75 pounds. He was in jail, for, excuse me, in hospital for four years. And they gave him so much pain medication that he was addicted to it. So now they were basically in a pickle, as my grandmother would say. But they didn't know what to do with this dilemma. Do we give him a medical discharge? And if we do that, he'll just end up like a derelict on Skid Row. And the other option is to keep him in the military but knowing that his alcoholism will render him basically useless. And they chose the latter. And then he said, now, do you want to continue with that complaint? Like, what do you think those guys did? Like, they suddenly changed their minds. And Jesus said, look, you'd better be careful about judging others, because unlike God, that you don't know all the facts, and you have no right to act like God. But he said, what I'm challenging you to do is to be more like God, to be full of mercy, to be full of generosity, 
and to be full of love. But Jesus was also effective because of his use of humor and illustrations. That's how he kept people's attention. Because it doesn't matter how helpful or challenging the information, if no one's listening, then it's not of any value whatsoever. And the difficult thing is to keep people's attention, especially in our culture today, where we have TV programs and we have commercials, we move from one thing to another, our attention spans are so short. Like I've read sermons of old-time preachers, and they go on an hour and a half, two hours, without any stories or illustrations whatsoever. And if we tried that today, you guys would all be trickling out the door. But we're accustomed to constant change, action, drama, commercials. Like this hour is 22 minutes. That was an interesting program because that's basically all you get out of a program. And guess what the recommended length for a message is? Like 22 minutes. That's where we are today. So any speaker in today's culture has to battle for attention and respect. But we learn from Jesus through his use of humor, his use of illustrations. And when I tell a story, it's amazing how, you know, it's not so easy under these new lights to see your eyes, but people perk up when you tell a story. They remember the story. They might not remember the message, but if they remember that story, they can apply it to their lives. Well, the great thing about Jesus is that his stories were applicable. He didn't just use them to get people's attention, but it was to make a lasting point. And his stories were classics, like the prodigal son, the, the parable about the good Samaritan, the, the parable of the talents. And he also used a lot of humor in what he had to say. Now, humor changes with time. Blonde jokes used to be common. Now we don't hear them very much. Humor in our culture is different than humor in other cultures. And human, excuse me, humor in the Jewish culture of the first century was overstatement. It was exaggeration or hyperbole. So something was considered to be ludicrous. So when Jesus said it would be harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, so through the key to the gates of Jerusalem, the people would laugh at that, you know, trying to squeeze a camel through this little keyhole. And then in Verse 39 of Luke 6, Jesus also used some sayings as he spoke to the people. He said, can one blind person lead another blind person? Won't they both fall into a ditch? And people would have smiled at that analogy. And you can see the speck in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. How can you say, my friend, let me take the speck out of your eye when you don't see the log in your own eye? You show-offs. First, get the log out of your own eye. Then you can see how to take the speck out of your friend's eye. Now, don't you think people laughed at that? Like, to imagine that, you know, you're there, you're, you're trying to get this little speck out of the other person's eye, but the whole while there's this huge log that's affecting your vision. But Jesus' humor made an unforgettable point. He used humor to say, you be careful that you don't criticize other people when at the same time you have a bigger problem yourself. And Jesus closed the Sermon on the Mount with a story that has become famous. A man took the time to build a really solid house. 
He built that house on a firm foundation. He built it on rock. And when the storms blew through, the contemporary English translation says that the house didn't even shake. That's how solid it was. But at the same time, there was another man who built his house on sand. Didn't have a good foundation. Wanted to get it up quickly. And when the storms came, that house was just destroyed. It was smashed to pieces. And Jesus said, don't just hear these words of mine, but put them into practice, and your house will stand forever, because you built it on a firm foundation. Now he's talking about a spiritual house. He's talking about a relationship with him. And what Jesus said was important, but what Jesus did was even more important. He went to the cross to die for our sins, and he offers us the opportunity to enter into a peace treaty with him. And that's important because of sin in our lives. We've basically been at war with God, and we've been separated from Him. But He's saying, if you will come back through Jesus, you can enter into that relationship with me again. But if you're defiant, and if you don't accept that offer, then one day He'll be your judge, and you'll feel His wrath. But if you humbly surrender to Him, if you say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life and are baptized into him, then he will cleanse you from your sins. He will set you free from all of that. And he will give you life. And that's eternal life. We're going to stand together and sing our commitments.